At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Confession is a necessary habit to have in our walk with Christ. It's something that can be uncomfortable or bring up feelings of guilt and shame. Even though we may be hesitant to confess our sins, He reminds us in His Word how vital confession is to our relationship with Him. In Psalm 51, David comes in full surrender, bringing his sin, shame, and guilt to God, asking for a renewed spirit and a cleansed heart. Join us in a new series titled, Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal, where we'll learn why practicing confession is so important. Well, good morning. Great to be with you here today in person. For those of you who are watching online, great that you are joining us as well. So, you are guilty. You did it. Whatever it might be, you are guilty. That little extra piece of dessert that you were saving for someone else, yeah, you ate it. The wedding anniversary that comes along every single year, yeah, you forgot it. That thing that your friend has that you really want, yeah, you took it. You are guilty, and you know it. The question is, how will you respond? According to a recent study out of the Batten School at the University of Virginia, a strong reaction, a bold reaction when confronted leads others to assume what? The worst. An angry response leads others to believe that you are in fact guilty whether you actually are guilty or not. If you come out boldly, you come out strong, others believe that you did it. A researcher by the name of Gabriel Adams says the basic finding is that people think that anger is a cue to someone's guilt. Well, today, we're not here to determine if you had one too many pieces of pie. That's not what we're here for. But we are here this morning to consider the story of a man who sinned big. And we are here this morning to learn from the way that this man responded when confronted. Because both of those things matter. And we're going to look at that story, and we're going to learn about both of those things after we pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge today, God, that we are guilty. We are guilty people, a people who struggle with sin in our lives. We struggle to walk the journey of faith with faithfulness. And yet you, you are faithful. Your son Jesus was faithful. And so therefore, through our faith in Him, You ultimately redeem us and restore us. But as we walk out our faith in this world, God, we confess it's a struggle. 
And so we pray today that you would meet with us. That you would meet with us through the power of your Holy Spirit that we might have a better understanding of the truth of your word and how you desire it to guide our lives. God, but in order to put that into practice, God, we need eyes to see clearly the truth of your word today. We need ears to hear clearly the truth. And then ultimately, God, we ask for humble hearts, for genuinely humble hearts before you that your spirit might guide us and lead us and that we might follow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, this morning we are beginning a new sermon series, and I'm going to be completely real with you. This series might stretch us a little bit. It might be one that we find a little bit hard, a little bit difficult, because it's a series on a spiritual discipline that is often overlooked and often underappreciated within the church. It's something we don't talk about much. And yet it's very important for you and for me on our journey of faith. It is the spiritual discipline of confession. Now over the course of the next five Sundays, we're going to learn how God's people can actually benefit from this spiritual discipline in a series that we are titling Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal. And today... We're going to start by looking at an Old Testament story that's going to give us a little bit of a, a backdrop. It's going to kind of paint a picture for us as we seek to understand. It's going to give us context for what we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead. We're going to start by reading the story of King David. And what we're going to find is that he made some incredibly bold choices, sinful choices. And ultimately, those choices led him down a path of destruction. That's what we're going to be doing today. And then we're going to move and we're going to go into Psalm 51 because Psalm 51 captures the heart of David as a result of what we're learning today. So we're not going to Psalm 51 yet, but what we're going to do today is grab our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. Now you're going to find that on page uh, 263 in our church Bibles. If you want to follow along behind me, certainly go ahead and do that. We're going to work through this story together right now, just digging into the first six verses. So 2 Samuel Chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. And the rich man had very many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him, and with his children. He used it to eat one of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. And now there came a traveler to the rich man, 
And he was unwilling to take one of his flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, that man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Can you guys feel the intensity? Do you guys hear the cry for justice that comes to David immediately upon hearing the story? Do you guys sense the king's rage? Did you feel it? That's a question. Did you guys feel it? I want to make sure that you felt it. Because what we just read is a powerful and life-altering moment in the life and the leadership of King David. What we just read right there. Because what we know from chapter 11 is that King David should have been at war. He shouldn't even be here. He shouldn't be having this conversation with Nathan. He should be at war. He should be on the battlefield. He should be fighting as the leader of his countrymen. But he isn't. He stayed home. And while this man was strangely idle, he spotted a beautiful woman who was bathing. Scholars believe that when she was bathing, he was the only one who would have been able to see her bathing because of the palace being higher than where that would have taken place. The king's palace was higher, and so he would likely have been the only person who could have seen Bathsheba bathing. And so he sees her. He's attracted to her. He sends for her. In that moment, he has lustful desire, and in that moment, he acts upon it. He sends for her. She comes, and they commit adultery. So let me give you a quick summary. He saw her. He sent for her. He had sex with another man's wife. Clearly a set of sinful actions. Can we agree on that one? But the king's sin didn't end there. Sometime after this adulterous encounter, the woman Bathsheba sent a notice to the king. She's pregnant. What does the king do? How is he going to respond in this moment with that kind of situation? Well, he attempts to cover it up. He attempts to cover it up. You see, Bathsheba's husband is a warrior by the name of Uriah. Uriah was on the battlefield. He was out fighting where David should have been. David was home sinning with this man's wife. So David calls Uriah off the field so he could be intimate with his wife, Bathsheba, in an attempt to cover up for David's sin. You guys tracking with the story? Well, to be brief, that doesn't happen. So what's the king to do? 
What is the king to do in this moment? He is busted, essentially. What does he do? He knows in his own heart what he has done, and yet he pushes forward. So he wields his power, and he moves Uriah to the front of the war where he is killed. And so this way, Bathsheba can mourn her husband and then be brought into David's harem of wives, and no one will have to know. No one will be the wiser. David's plan is coming together. Or is it? Listen to the words of 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. The plan is working perfectly in this moment. But wait. Here's what the rest of the verse reads. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God knew and he was displeased. Enter a young man named Nathan, a young man that God brought to confront the sin of the king. Listen to verse 1 one more time. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan didn't just wander there on his own and say, hey, I need to talk with you. No, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And this shows us something incredibly important. The Lord is the one who confronts our sin with a purpose of bringing renewal in our lives. The Lord is the one that, conf- that, that leads us and confronts our sin. He confronts the sins of His people. But this does lead us to a fundamental question, doesn't it? Why is confrontation needed? I mean, why is confrontation needed in your life and in mine and in the life of King David? Why is it needed? From today's text, we're going to see three specific reasons of why it's so important that God does that, that He confronts the sin in our lives, whether it's something we did, whether it's something we said, whether it's something we didn't act upon, but yet is brewing and stirring within our heart. God's people need divine confrontation to be set free. The first reason is simple. Because you and I are blind to our sin. We are blind to our sin. We are often too blind to see the sin in our own life. This is what we see in the life of King David. When we read through verses 1 through 6, God sends one of the king's court prophets one of David's trusted advisors, Nathan, to speak truth to him in the form of a parable. What would the king do? He's presented with a situation in this moment. He's presented with something that is very, very egregious. How will the king respond? Listen to the, what the king says after the parable. He said, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. King David responds with fierce anger. And yet, when we read this story, we see a tremendous amount of irony, don't we? Because what David did is the same thing. Nathan presents a story, it is a parable, he presents it to the king, and the king doesn't get the fact that he did the exact same thing. And yet the king has no remorse for abusing his own power. He has no remorse for the sin of adultery. He has no remorse for the death of someone under his leadership. The king is blind to it all. A few weeks ago, I was working with a friend of mine in another state. He had gotten in a car accident, and he said, hey man, I, I don't even know where to begin. So we started talking, and I kind of guided him a little bit on maybe what kind of cars he should look for. He said, I'm not a car guy. I have no idea. Can you give me, can you give me a little help? So I kind of talked through some different brands, different models, that sort of thing with him. It was interesting because he went to the dealer, drove a couple of the models I I had encouraged him, and I said, hey man, how did it go? And he said, well, you know what? I really liked one of them a lot. He said, but the problem is, it has this massive blind spot. We have blind spots too, don't we? We have blind spots in our lives too. Things in our character, things in our lives that others around us see very clearly. And yet for some reason, we don't. Maybe it's our attitude. Our attitude is just lousy and it doesn't honor God. Perhaps it's the way we treat our spouse, treat our children. Or perhaps it's a lack of love, just in general, that we fail to show other people. This is the reason that God puts other believers in your life and in mine, to help us see our blind spots. Because they're there, and we miss them. And that is what Nathan is in David's life. Someone who God placed there to speak truth. So, believer, let me ask you, who is your Nathan? Who is the person that God has placed in your life to expose those blind spots? Those things that you just can't see. You overlook them. You miss them. You don't know that they're there. Who is that person in your life? The person who says, hey, I think you're getting a little prideful. Hey, I think you're a little angry. Hey, I think that thing in your life is becoming an idol. Who is that person? This is why the words of Proverbs 27, verse 6, so important to us. This is faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wounds because friends tell the truth, even when it's hard. Now, let's return to the text. 
2 Samuel chapter 12, let's pick it up at verse 7 and see how David responds. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in His sight? For you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes, and I will give them to your neighbor. And he shall live with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David's anger, his passionate cry for justice has been confronted. It's been confronted with the truth, and the truth says, you are the man. It's a word of judgment. It's a direct confrontation of David's sin. And at the root of David's sin is something we might often overlook. Listen to verse 9 again. It says that David despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight. To be clear, as we work through that text, God has given David everything. Everything he has has come from the hand of Almighty God. All of it. David knew that. He understood that. He also understood the law. And yet his sinful actions with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah, well, they deserve death. You see, David's sin was outright rebellion against God and His Word. And it revealed a heart that despised the Word of the Lord. And so what we read here is very uplifting it's God's punishment. It's pretty raw. It's pretty real. When we read it, what we find is that in spite of David's reckless disregard, what we need to know is that God will not utterly reject David. It's very important for us to grab a hold of that truth. In spite of David's flaws, in spite of his massive sin, God will not utterly reject him. Instead, the pain that David instilled upon others through adultery, through murder, well, Nathan tells him that's going to come to his house. And when he suffers, he's going to suffer in a very public fashion. 
Now, church, your sin and my sin might not be as bold and as brash as King David's. Pretty sure it's not. And yet we can struggle with a similar heart attitude, can't we? This is why Nathan's word to Davis, David helps us see the, the second reason that God needs to confront you and confront me about sin in our lives because we have all despised the word of God. All of us. Like David, God's people disregard the truth of God's word. We turn our, a blind eye to it. You might say, wait a second, Pastor, I am here every Sunday. I serve in our kids' ministry. I'm in a life group. I do a ton of great stuff. Awesome. I'm glad you do. I mean that. I'm incredibly glad that you do those things. It's very important in the life of the church. But what I also know to be true is that this is a challenge of walking the Christian life of walking out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's tough to know God's Word. It can be tough to allow it to mold and shape our head, our heart, and our hands. And then it can be tough to truly believe it. Oh wait, there's another level. Don't just believe it, now live it. That's easy, right? The truth is that remains a struggle for me, and I'm pretty sure it remains a struggle for you because you and I face real-life temptations every single day, things that look appealing to us. And yet the reality is they are opposed to the truth of God's Word. Every day you and I walk that fine line of walking in faithfulness or going, you know what, God? I got this one. I'll take it from here. I'm good. You can sit this one out. Friends, that's sin. That's rebellion. And what it shows is that you and I despise God and His Word. There's no way around this White Lake family. Sin and rebellion are ugly. They are in, a, in, in what we see in David's life. They're ugly then, and they're ugly when we look at our own sin. When we look over the course of our lives, what we see is that sin ruins marriages. Sin has far-reaching impact on our children. Sin implodes churches destroys them. Sin wrecks havoc in our lives. And this is why it must be addressed. Sin must be confronted. Now, I'm guessing that right about now you're thinking, boy, I wish I wouldn't have come to church today. A little heavy, I didn't really sign up for the whole, hey, you're a sinner, hey, you're in rebellion right now. It's not really what I was looking for on my Sunday morning. Well, here's where we're going to make a turn, and we're going to find out something incredibly important. There is one place for you and me to go with our sinful, rebellious hearts. 
Let's look back at our text. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. David's response was simple and it was real. He acknowledges his sin before Almighty God. David knows the weight of his sin, and in this moment, he's completely and finally undone. The blinders have come off. He sees. And that's what happens when we know we're guilty. We stop denying, we stop getting angry, we stop running, we stop hiding. Instead, we throw up our hands and we surrender. You and I, in that moment, we surrender. When we get to the end of ourselves is when we surrender to a holy and righteous God. We own our sin and we turn to God in repentance. And that's why we see the third reason that we need to be confronted of our sin. Because the Lord will forgive our sin. God is gracious and good, and He will forgive our sins, and He will cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And this is what's so cool, so cool and so significant about the final portion of verse 13. Look at it again. The Lord also has put away your sin, David. He's put away your sin. He will not put you to death. God, in this moment, is affirming His commitment to David. Will David suffer real consequences for his sin? Absolutely. Will God abandon David ultimately? Absolutely not. That's such a powerful lesson for you and for me. And this is why that we're reflecting on this intense portion of David's life today. It's why it's so important for us to look at it openly and honestly. Because like David, you and I have sinned against a holy God. Many of us walk around, we carry the scars of that sin. Maybe it's our sin. Maybe it's the sin of a parent, a spouse, a friend, a coworker. Whatever it is, we carry the scars. And yet, as David heard, I want to make sure that you hear words of hope today. Words of hope in David's confession. Because all who cry out to God with a humble heart can have the same reality as David. Verse 13 tells us that God put away the sins of David and upon the cross, Jesus has put away the sins of all who believe. That's what Jesus has done for you and for me. Sinners like us 
what God asks of us is to acknowledge our sin to Him. And when we do, when we repent and believe, we can have confidence that the finished work of Christ on the cross is for you and for me. It is on our behalf, and it pays a penalty that you and I could not pay. You see, it's because of God's grace through our faith that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are saved. So church, it's a heavy truth that we've looked at today. And there is one simple and real and straightforward application from this truth. Own your sin. Own it. Don't get angry. Don't defend. Don't run away from it. Own your sin. And the words of John's Gospel explain why this is so important. No sin. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.